This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Nabil Viaggio and here's what's coming up. Who's beget other coups. You know, once you've established a precedent that you can seize power through extra-constitutional means, then what's to stop the next politically-oriented military leader from doing the same thing? That's Joseph Siegel, Director of Research at Africa Center for Strategic Studies on Burkina Faso's second military coup in eight months. Also, U.S. Climate Envoy John Kerry asked the DRC to withdraw some of the oil blocks it put up for auction. Cameroon's president orders enforcement of a 2019 law on bilingualism. And South African police crack down on crime syndicates operating cybercrime networks. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. Following the military coup in Burkina Faso, the new self-proclaimed leader, Ibrahim Traore, said the fight we are leading is for Burkina Faso. He and his fellow officers said they had carried out their move because junta leader Paul Henry Sandaugo Damiba, who took power in January in a January coup, had failed to quell jihadist attacks in the country. Joseph Siegel, director of research at Africa Center for Strategic Studies, discussed the justification of the coup with VOA senior analyst Mohamed Ashinawi. Well, in my view, there's not a legitimate explanation for a coup. You know, a coup is an extra-legal seizure of power. And to say that a, a government hasn't dealt with a jihadist threat and therefore that's justification for seizing power, you know, that becomes a circular argument that uh, allows other would-be coup leaders to take power themselves. So that's not sufficient. Now, I think it's positive that Tory is talking about a national forum and the need to choose a president. You know, I, I think we want to hold him to those words words, that is what Burkina Faso needs. It needs to return to a constitutionally based, civilian-led, democratic system. And that is going to be the most powerful governance structure that can you know, seize the moment and, and the severity of the crisis that the country is facing and mobilize the whole of government, the whole of society commitment that's going to be required. It's that type of government that will not only mobilize the entire you know, domestic effort, but it will open up doors for greater commitment from international actors who, frankly, were having great difficulties working with any of these these juntas. But if there's a democratic government in place that is there trying to advance the interest of all the citizens, then it's a lot more scope for international support. The coup in Burkina Faso sparked a wave of international criticism, including from the United States, the African Union, the European Union, and the regional grouping ECOWAS. Was that enough to stop the spate of military coups in Africa? Unfortunately, I don't think so. You know, there have been condemnations over previous coups, and so more than words are going to be needed. You know, these words are going to be backed up with stiffer penalties and isolation of these coup leaders. They shouldn't be recognized as the heads of state uh, for these countries to begin with. Unfortunately, you know, what we have seen is an effort by ECOWAS and international actors to accommodate the coup leaders. And while that is seen as the diplomatic approach to a bad situation, what it's done is green light these 
unconstitutional seizures of power. And so it's encouraged more of them. And um, again, once this precedent is in place, it creates its own momentum. You know, what's to stop some other, you know, military actor from seizing power in Burkina Faso or another African, West African country? And so I think that is the slippery slope that we're seeing right now in West Africa. And, you know, the coup leaders have found they can ignore ECOWAS without much penalty. They can ignore the international community. And so I think there has to be some learning that takes place and there has to be you know, renewed and heightened pressure on all of these juntas in West Africa to accelerate their transition back to civilian-led governments. Otherwise, we're going to see even more instability in this part of the world. That was Joseph Siegel, Director of Research at Africa Center for Strategic Studies, speaking with VOA Senior Analyst Mohamed Ashinawi. Burkina Faso's new military ruler, Captain Ibrahim Traore, has urged cabinet ministers to move faster to tackle urgent problems. On Sunday, religious and community leaders said Lieutenant Colonel Paul Henry Demiba, who took power in a January coup, formally resigned after Traore agreed to his terms. Kamisa Kamara, a senior advisor on the Sahel with the United States Institute of Peace, tells VOA's Carol Van Damme that Traurer has said repeatedly he's not interested in running Burkina Faso, but there are concerns that the West African country is tilting towards Russia. Traurer made it very clear from the get-go that he didn't want to stay in power as a military leader, that he wanted to hand over power to a president uh, of the transition who would have been um, appointed by a, a group of, of uh, influent people in Burkina Faso. And so when he talks about urgent uh, matters, I believe that he's probably referring to just uh, regular affairs of, of the state. He didn't want any interruption in the way that government uh, conducts business uh, because Damiba actually left. Um, but I believe that there is no miracle uh, solution to the security situation uh, that Burkina Faso and the entire Sahel region is currently facing. Some people were chanting pro-Russian slogans and even waved Russian flags as they greeted the junta leader. Could Burkina Faso, under his leadership, tilt toward Russia? And if so, why? So Kalde was very smart, especially during the first hours of, of the coup, when he realized that um, he was going to lose the battle against Damiba, because um, if you remember, it was the pro-Damiba forces against the Traoré forces who were uh, fighting um, to basically uh, take over uh, power, and uh, the Damiba forces were actually leading and it didn't look like Kaori was going to win. And it was, I guess, a politically smart move to accuse France of harboring Damiba. And that actually triggered this uh, Russian flags that you were seeing um, in Ouagadougou. Is uh, Waga going to tilt towards Russia? Most likely. Uh, Russia has played uh, heavily on anti-French sentiment in the Sahel region. Um, it has gone by the same playbook in, in neighboring Mali, and there are high chances that uh, Russia also presents itself as a credible international partner to Burkina Faso in the face of this anti-French sentiment that we're seeing um, in the country.
the people there, they must know uh, the, the feelings in the West, uh, how they are in Russia right now after its invasion of Ukraine. And I guess it doesn't really matter at this point for them. It's, it's all about survival, right? So you have to understand that this uh, battle between uh, Russia and Ukraine is important for Europe, but doesn't resonate the same way in the Sahel or in, in West Africa. It is a war that is geographically far away from West Africa. Africans have mentioned it multiple times during the UN General Assembly that it was a war that didn't really involve Africans and that Africans should actually be left out of it uh, because there are many conflicts in West Africa, including the terrorist threat. That is really a question of survival. So West African countries, including Burkina, including Mali, are not seeing Russia as such an enemy and are rather seeing Russia as a potential uh, partner that they could go in a bidding war with against France. That was Khamisa Kamara, a senior advisor on the Sahel with the United States Institute of Peace. She was speaking with my colleague Carol Van Damme from Oxford, England. The head of the UN peacekeeping mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo says the international agency is ready and willing to work with the government to withdraw its forces, including 14,000 troops and police. The Associated Press reports that Bintu Kita says a crisis of confidence in the wake of attacks by the M23 rebel group has affected the UN mission MONUSCO. He says harmful disinformation about its mission has led to violent protests that have killed dozens of protesters. The mission has been unable to hold ongoing attacks in the, east, in the eastern part of the country, where dozens of rebel groups operate. Reuters says at least 10 people were wounded yesterday when a homemade, bo- when a homemade bomb went off in a cinema in the trading hub of Butembo. The city is sometimes the target of the Islamist group Allied Democratic Forces, or ADF. The French news agency AFP says the ADF killed 13 people, including three soldiers, Sunday, Sunday night in Beni region. During their protests, the refugees marched to the UN offices inside the Zalega refugee camp in Doha district, where they bent tires to signify their concerns and anger. Muhammad Bashiri is among the protesters. He says we are complaining about the delay in receiving cash handouts. We used to buy food. We received our last handouts four months ago. He said lack of assistance has sometimes made his family and three children go days without food. The UN World Food Program is responsible for providing cash for food assistance to over 50,000 refugees in the Zalega refugee camp. But recently, the organization said it lacks funds to meet the needs of all the refugees. In February, WFP halted food rations to nearly 700 self-sustaining refugee families, citing funding limitations. Ken Emmanuel Lukajo is the Associate External Relations and Reporting Officer for the UN Refugee Agency. UNHCR in Malawi. He told VOA Tuesday that the UNHCR is aware of the food shortage problem in Zalega and that efforts have been made 
to update the refugees on the situation. UNICEF worked closely with WP and then the camp management and also the refugee leaders. And they always conduct meetings to inform the refugees about the challenges that's going on and update them on when when they, they're able to get their cash assistance. Portanibu is country director for WFP in Malawi. He says the WFP last made a cash handout in August and that the delay is because of financial constraints the organization has faced in recent years. Since May 2019, we've been doing a reduced food assistance uh, ration between about 25 to 50% lower than the, the ideal ration. Now, we've faced risks of pipeline breaks for the food assistance on several occasions, and, and certainly this year we have encountered that. Danny Bull said the refugees will resume getting cash handouts on October 10. And we have now secured sufficient funding for the remaining months of the of the year. So for the remainder of 2022, we will be able to do uh, monthly distributions to the refugees. However, Tanibu said more financial assistance is still needed to ensure the refugees get regular cash for food payments next year. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. Lamek Masina was reporting from Blantyre in Malawi on hundreds of refugees and asylum seekers who are protesting today over delays in promised cash assistance to buy food. Can News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biajo in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For World News, check out voanews.com. The French news agency AFP says gunmen have killed 12 villagers in northeast Nigeria. Police say the shootings took place Sunday in a herding village in Taraba State's Bali district by attackers dressed as vigilantes carrying heavy weapons. The men told residents they were fighting criminal gangs and had come to arrest suspects. The assailants took 130 cattle, motorcycles and food supplies. Four of the attackers have been arrested and are reported and are reportedly cooperating with the investigation. Authorities say soldiers, police and local hunters are looking for eight people who are still missing. AFP notes that Taraba is one of the several northern states dealing with bandits who loot and kill or kidnap residents for ransom. Some are involved in clashes between nomadic herders and farmers. Bars and security forces in the state have also been the target of attacks by Muslim extremists. The Ugandan government has distanced itself from remarks on Twitter by Lieutenant General Mohozi Kenarugaba, the son of President Yuari Museveni, that caused tension with neighboring Kenya. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs said in a statement today that the government does not conduct its foreign policy functions via social media. In a related development, Museveni, who is the Commander-in-Chief of Defense, promoted his son from Lieutenant General to General, the highest rank in the Army, but dropped his title as Commander of Land Forces. Charles Mwanguya is a political analyst and host of the political show Hotline on BBS Television. My colleague Douglas Impuga reached him in Kampala for reaction on these developments. It's quite interesting. Uh, it's uh, the dominant discussion uh, on social media groups, especially WhatsApp. 
what's happening is that people are picking uh, from Twitter and they're distributing on other larger group social media platforms, especially WhatsApp. And uh, it's pretty much mixed because some people are discussing uh, the reaction of the Kenyans who picked up the discussion yesterday and made it really big. And uh, some Ugandans are trying to read into what this means for both General Mohozi and the power structure within Kampala. Talking of what it means, General Mohozi, uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs has issued a statement reiterating its cooperation with Kenya and it's a strong relationship. That, that means both governments are taking the, the issue very seriously, aren't they? Yes, many senior politicians in Kenya, including in cabinet and in parliament, picked up the discussion yesterday from the general public. And we are making, we are making demands on their government to make demands on the Ugandan government from Kampala to respond to that statement. So the ministry statement, the Minister of Foreign Affairs statement from Kampala, is not, did not come as a surprise. It means that the tweets touched off uh, very sensitive diplomatic relations uh, between uh, Kenya and Uganda. We understand there has been uh, some changes in as far as Mohozi's Kanirugawa's assignment in the army is concerned. That is the latest development. Uh, just this afternoon, the spokesperson of uh, the army, uh, Brigadier General Felix Kulaije, released a statement whose contents had actually leaked a little bit uh, earlier than he released it, indicating that uh, President Jeremy Seven, who is the commander-in-chief, uh, has promoted Lieutenant General Mohozikanyagaba to the rank of full general, and also dropped him from the command of the land forces, appointing in his place former Major General Kayanja Mohanga, who has since been promoted to the rank of Lieutenant General. How do we see this uh, thing ending? Does that solve... Will that stop uh, General Mohozi from further tweets? That is the interesting part. That's what everybody is watching out for. Because uh, where things stand now, uh, there are two schools of thought. One is that he's been, uh, to use the local, uh, the local cliche here, is that he's been put on Katebe, removed from a command position. Some people think this might give him legroom because he retains his position as a senior presidential advisor to special operations, uh, which might give him a little bit more legroom to engage uh, more freely in political discussions and his uh, Twitter exchanges, which have been uh, very interesting. They attracted a lot of comments uh, from his followers. They attracted a lot of uh, debate on social media platforms, and they have grown his followership. Uh, significantly over the last two years. So whether this is a move to free him and allow him to tweet without the limitations of holding a senior command position, whether some people have speculated that this could actually allow it to be an indication that he might be retired soon and therefore if he's retired, that clears the way uh, for him to consider running for political office in 2026. There is a lot of that speculation going on among different sections of Ugandan. Charles Mwanguya is a political analyst and host of the political show Hotline on BBS television. He spoke with Douglas Mpuga by phone from Kampala. In Cameroon, thousands of people are marching to call for peace in the country's separatist conflict. The daily peace marches, which began on Friday, are slated to continue through today, come on the third anniversary of talks designed to end the fighting. Marchers say authorities need to do more to return peace to the rest of western regions, where fighting has killed about 3,500 people since 2007. Moki Edwin Kinzaka reports from Yaoundé, Cameroon. 
Hundreds of people march on the streets of Yaoundé demanding an end to the separatist crisis in Cameroon's English-speaking western regions. The protesters, a majority of them women, say hardly a day goes by without cases of killing, abduction, rape and torching of public edifices in the northwest and southwest regions. Monday's peace march was organized by a non-governmental organization called Cameroon Peace and National Unity. Its president, Clementine Vogo, says the peace march marks the third anniversary of government-organized peace talks called the Major National Dialogue. Le grand dialogue était prévu pour mettre sur la table la thématique de la paix. Vogo says the culture of peace is still very much absent in Cameroon since the holding in Yaoundé of a major national dialogue from September 30 to October 4, 2019. She says the ongoing peace march in Yaoundé is to make the quest for peace a daily struggle of all Cameroonians. She says all civilians and civil society movements should be concerned about the return of peace to Cameroon. After that dialogue, Cameroon's president, Paul Biya, implemented recommendations to give the northwest and southwest regions more power, including the creation of regional assemblies and elected regional presidents. Zakir's Bakuma Etlangu is president of the Southwest Regional Assembly. He says outreach efforts to the armed separatist groups continue. We are doing everything we can to convince them to lay down their arms and come to the negotiation table. We have families who have been displaced, children who have not gone to school for five years. So what becomes of them? Are we coming up with a generation of semi-literates? Elango says some people have realized that war is not the answer. As the years go by, more and more people are beginning to understand that we are in the same country. There were problems, and those problems progressively are being addressed, and the situation is improving. As evidence of that, he notes that tens of thousands of people who fled the fighting have returned to southwest towns and villages in Manu, Lebealem, Meme, Ndian, Fako, and Kupe Maniguba administrative units. Elango said several hundred schools sealed by fighters in the region have been reopened. The government says after the dialogue, powers were given to a national commission for the promotion of bilingualism to give equal status to the English and French languages in order to reduce domination by the French-speaking majority. David Abuem Achoi is a member of the commission. He says the conflict still persists because many separatist leaders refused to take part in the dialogue. I regret bitterly that some of our brothers and sisters, especially those who were abroad, couldn't be part of that jamboree. When I read their recommendations, I saw some of them which could be game changers. And I think it is important to note that the head of state said the recommendation should be implemented according to the means and uh, the capabilities of the state. Three years on, the prospects for peace talks remain stalled. Some separatist groups say they are not ready for any dialogue, while others say the talks should be held outside Cameroon. 
Separatist leaders based in Europe and the United States have expressed concern they will be arrested on charges of terrorism if they come home for peace talks. Cameroon maintains that the 2019 dialogue was successful and no talks will be organized outside the country. The stalemate doesn't bode well for peace in the western regions and suggests that Yaoundé will see more marches like the ones taking place this week. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of the studio engineer Nelson Lopez and producer Mokbeliabaro, thank you for, again for tuning in and for choosing the Voice of America. <laughs>